Thank you, Uncle Eric. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, we, uh, as we've sung to you this morning, we, we've sung about the cross. We started with Psalm 51 and, and seeing our, our great need for a Savior, that we stand condemned. And, and then we started singing about the cross that saved us, that, that, that removed that condemnation that your Son took for us. And then we sang about blessing, just, just blessing that you give us. And, and the fact is that you give and take away, and yet we still choose to bless you and to bless others. And so I pray now as we, as we talk about that blessing even more, may, may we always view blessing ultimately in the light of the cross. That, that there's so much that we have. We, we are your children we belong to you because of the cross. We are blessed. And so we thank you. I pray during this time you'd use your word to do its work in us. May we be receptive. In Jesus' name, amen. Kids, three through kindergarten, you are dismissed. You know, uh, you might just want to stay off Facebook the next couple days. I thought about preaching about jealousy this morning because you see all your friends on there saying, 80 degree weather, Florida, you know, Mexico, it's great. You know, just, I thought I should preach on jealousy. That's what I should do this morning. I connect with every person here. Um, but I'm not. Uh, <laughs> when I was young and uh, crazy in love, now I'm still in love, but when I was crazy in love, that means, no wait, no wait, no wait. I thought about how I was going to say this. If you don't interrupt me, it's going to come out right. But if you do interrupt me, it's going to come out wrong. When I was young and crazy in love, and not, that's not a euphemism. I mean that in the sense of uh, you do foolish things when you're in love, you know. I will go down uh, from Moody, Chicago, down to Peoria, Illinois, and see Christy. We were engaged. I wanted to be with her and talk to her and spend time with her. And I would take a bus ride down. It was a Peoria charter coach. And I would take my homework with me, and I'd do the homework on the bus as I was coming down. So I'd get all that out of the way. About, I got about three hours one way, six hours round trip. So I had lots of time to do homework. Uh, and so... Um, Coming back, there was never enough time in the weekend. I mean, you know how it is. When you're crazy in love, that there's never enough time, and so you try to create more time. And so it was always kind of like, you know, some weekends would be like, oh, Peoria, Peoria Charter Coach leaves Sunday at like 1 o'clock. I barely had time to get out of church and eat, and then I'm on the bus, and there's not enough time, you know. And sometimes I'd just push it a little bit longer, a little bit longer, and, and I'd miss my bus. One time I missed my bus. And I'm like, I've got to get back to school. You know, how am I going to get to Chicago? And so I thought, well, I'm going to take the Greyhound bus. That leads not from Peoria, but from Bloomington. I'll do that. And, and so I, I had this plan. You know, I can spend more time here because I'm crazy in love. And, uh, and I'll take the Bloomington bus. Okay, so uh, I got driven to Bloomington. I get dropped off. I get on the bus. And suddenly it occurs to me, I have no idea where this bus is dropping me off at. You know, that's like a small detail when you're crazy in love. You know, and so uh, I'm on the bus and I'm traveling, and it starts to hit me more and more and more. Um, what? Where are they going to drop me off at? And what time am I going to get in? Because I was leaving around 
I don't know, 7 or 8 o'clock, 8 o'clock maybe in the evening? So I'm like, I'm going to be pulling in at like 11, 11.30 at night? Like almost midnight? I don't know where they're, they're going to drop me off in a random neighborhood. I have no idea where I'm at. I'm crazy in love. See why I said that? See? Um, and uh, crazy. And so I remember feeling the anxiety start to build up because now Christy's not with me and it's not like anything goes anymore, you know. It's not like I want to be with you two more hours. It's like, what have I done? You know, and it's starting to weigh me down and, and I'm praying and I can't think about homework. All I can think about is what neighborhood will I get dropped off in? And so uh, one, of the booming, uh, one of the stops, uh, the Greyhound stops, I talked to the driver. Where do we get left, let off at? And, and he said, oh, he named some neighborhood. There's a little station right there and, and you just get let off right there and and it's like, oh, I have no idea where that's at. And, and now I'm getting more anxious. I'm starting to sweat. And, uh, and I'm thinking about where that is. And so I start to pray, you know. Um, and, and now it's getting dark, and I'm praying. And I'm like, God, just let there be a taxi, you know. Just let there be a taxi there. I don't care where it is or how much it costs. If there's a taxi there, then I can, I can hop into the cab, and they can drive me to Moody, and I'll be okay. And, and so I, I'm praying this, and, and then they let me off. You know, the bus finally gets to the destination. I'm one of the last ones on the bus, of course, because I'm crazy in love. And uh, I get off, and I'm looking around, and I don't see anything. You know, it's like I don't know where I am. I don't know what neighborhood I'm in. I have no clue. And, and I'm looking, and I don't see a taxi. So I start to walk a little bit. You know, it's like 1130, getting close to midnight. And I'm like, what am I doing in a random neighborhood in Chicago at about midnight? And so I'm praying, God, you know, just let there be a taxi. Let there be a taxi. And then there was a taxi. <laughs> and so the taxi driver pulls up, you know, and I, I hop in, you know, and I'm like, I'm probably doing this, you know, nothing cool about that. You know, you just got to get the guy's attention. And I hop in and tell him, I need Chicago and LaSalle. Can you get me there? Oh, I'll get you there, you know. So he pulls up and I'm okay. Now, I'm just telling you, those few moments where I'm walking down the street in Chicago feel like eternity, you know? Because it's dark and there's nobody out and I don't see any cars. And it's like, I don't know where I am. That's not what you want to feel in that moment. All, all of my love for Christy, it, it's like gone right then. All I can feel is the anxiety. Um, I think, I think that in life we hear so many things that are negative And we do so much self-talk that's negative. And and a lot of life can be like walking in darkness. You know, like, what am I supposed to be doing here? What what, what purpose does God have for me? And and, and what in the world's going on? And and yet, when when people speak into our life, I I almost think of it like that taxi cab driver. It's like, I I need some anchoring for myself. I need to know what purpose. How am I going to get through this? And I think that the Bible does that when you open it up and you see like, oh, here's why God has me here. Here's what he's saying to me. And I think people do that when they speak into our lives. Older believers, uh, friends, family, when they say, this is what I see in you. This is what God has gifted you at. They say these things and it's like giving me like a beacon of light, like the taxi sign in the darkness saying, oh, that's it. I don't have to worry. I, I see what I'm here for. I think words of blessing to other people are so powerful because we live in a world that just tears down. And when they tear us down, it, it makes us anxious. It makes us lost. It's like, what are we doing? It just feels like you've slugged through the week. I want to look at blessing 
in the uh, Old Testament. Uh, if you go to Genesis 48, we're, we're zooming to the end of Jacob's life. We've totally skipped over Joseph, but many of you know the story of Joseph. Probably most of you do. Um, Joseph, one of Jacob's sons who uh, the brothers are jealous of and they sell him into slavery and tell dad that he was, he was killed by an animal. But then Joseph ends up being the top guy in Egypt next to Pharaoh himself. Uh, only Pharaoh's above him. And, uh, and when there's a famine in the land, all the family comes back and lives in Egypt and they're saved. So all that to say, this is the end of Jacob's life and he wants to gather his children together and bless, give his blessing to them. So we're looking at Genesis chapter 48. And uh, we're going to pick up at uh, verse 17. Now what's going on here is Jacob calls Joseph and Joseph's two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, and Jacob wants to bless them first. Now, Joseph is not firstborn, okay? I mean, normally you start with your firstborn child. Usually they get a more spectacular blessing because they're going to be like the head of the household now. And instead, uh, Jacob calls Joseph the young, young brother, and he calls Joseph's two kids, who aren't even Jacob's kids. They're his grandkids. And clearly, Jacob is saying, these are my kids. I mean, he says that. These are my children. And, and, and what he's saying is, they are going to take priority in my family like firstborn. So, Let's do this. Uh, let's go to verse uh, 17. When Joseph saw his father placing his right hand on Ephraim's head, he was displeased, so he took hold of his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's. Joseph said to him, No, my father, this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He too will become a great people. He too will become great. Nevertheless, his younger brother will be greater than he, and his descendants will become as a group of nations. Then he blessed them that day and said, In your name will Israel pronounce his blessing. May God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. So he put Ephraim ahead of Manasseh. Then Israel said to Joseph, I'm about to die, but God will be with you and take you back to the land of your fathers. And to you, as one who is over your brothers, I give you the ridge of land I took from the Amorites with my sword and my bow. Then Jacob called for his sons and said, Gather around so I can tell you what will happen to you in days to come. Assemble and listen, sons of Jacob. Listen to your father Israel. Reuben, you're my firstborn, my might, the first sign of my strength, excelling in honor, excelling in power. Turbulent as the waters, you will no longer excel. For you went up on your father's bed onto my couch and defiled it. Simeon and Levi, who we talked about last week, are brothers. Their swords are weapons of violence. Let me not enter their council. Let me not join their assembly, for they have killed men in their anger and hamstrung oxen as they pleased. Cursed be their anger so fierce and their fury so cruel. I will scatter them in Jacob and disperse them in Israel. Judah, your brothers will praise you. Your hand will be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons will bow down to you. You are a lion's cub, O Judah. You return from the prey, my son. Like a lion, he crouches and lies down. Like a lioness, who dares rouse him? The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, 
until he comes to whom it belongs and the obedience of the nations is his. He will tether his donkey to the vine, his colt to the choicest branch. He will wash his garments in wine, his blood and his robes in the blood of grapes. His eyes will be darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. Zebulun will live by the seashore and will become a haven for ships. His border will extend towards Sidon. Issachar is a raw-boned donkey lying down between two saddlebags. When he sees how good is his resting place and how pleasant in his land, he will bend his shoulder to the burden and submit to forced labor. Dan will provide justice for his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan will be a serpent by the roadside, a viper along the path that bites the horse's heels so that the rider tumbles backward. I look for your deliverance, O Lord. Gad will be attacked by a band of raiders, but he will attack them at their heels. Asher's food will be rich. He will provide delicacies fit for a king. Naphtali is a doe set free that bears, that, that bears beautiful fawns. Joseph is a fruitful vine, a fruitful vine near a spring whose branches climb over a wall. With bitterness, archers attacked him. They shot at him with hostility, but his bow remained steady. His arms stayed limber because of the hand of the mighty one of Jacob, because of the shepherd, the rock of Israel, because of your father's God who helps you, because of the Almighty who blesses you with the blessings of the heavens above, blessings of the deep that lies below, blessings of the breast and womb. Your father's blessings are greater than the blessings of the ancient mountains, than the bounty of the age-old hills. Like all these rest on the head of Joseph, on the brow of the prince among his brothers." Benjamin is a ravenous wolf. In the morning he devours the prey. In the evening he divides the plunder. All these are the twelve tribes of Israel, and this is what their father said to them as he blessed them, giving each the the blessing appropriate to him. All right. There's our text for the morning. It's going to take me a while to preach through twelve tribes, so uh, here we go. No, not really. I'm not going to do that. Um, I'll call your attention to a few of them, but... um, What I want to talk about this morning then is how can a parent bless their children? This is the last in the series on home improvement, but it can extend beyond how a parent blesses children. How do we bless other people? How do grandparents bless their grandchildren? How do we bless our friends? What do we do to communicate blessing to other people and how important that is? Now, there are a few differences between us and Jacob because Jacob's on his deathbed And he's issuing these blessings, and some of them are very negative because they're reflecting on the lives of his sons, you know, and some of the crazy things that they did that weren't right. Like we looked at last week with Simeon and Levi and how they killed the the people of Shechem, you know, because they defiled their sister. Just just revenge-driven. And they get this blessing that sounds more like a curse here. But keeping in mind that, that the goal is to bless our kids... And to bless them now, not just on our deathbed, what are some things about blessing that we can learn from this passage? If you have notes, you can pull them out now. This is a good time. There's about four things. Uh, some people see five things or so. Some people see more. Um, I tried to condense this into four things that's, that's going on here as we think about how to bless our kids, bless our friends, bless our family, bless other people. Number one, then, is appropriate, meaningful touch appropriate meaningful touch what jacob does when he blesses ephraim and manasseh he puts his hands on them and you notice joseph doesn't like what he does because he does one of these things you know like 
Joseph made sure that his firstborn was in the right place. I guess it would be that place right here. And Jacob does one of these. (laughs) It was supposed to be like this. Right hand on firstborn. But, But Jacob does that. Now, of course, that calls to your attention, you know, the same thing that Jacob went through, right? But he stole the blessing that day. Remember, Esau's going to get blessed. Jacob comes in to fool his father Isaac and steal the blessing. Well, there's no fooling here. Jacob just knows, you could say, maybe is inspired by God, and he's going to bless the, 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 the secondborn and not the firstborn of Joseph. So he does one of these. But the point being, physical touch is a way to communicate blessing. When parents hug their children, that is speaking something to them without words. Obviously, they're saying, I love you. Now, I come from a family that uh, we kind of like, we hug on like special occasions, you know, Uh, Christmas, Easter, graduation. Never forget graduation from high school and my dad hugging me after I got my diploma. I mean, because we, we we weren't like a big hugging family. And then, and then uh, my, my, my sister married, uh, uh, a young man who uh, loves the Lord and is a hugger, okay? He's a tall guy, too, so you can't, like, resist his hug. Like, you might try to escape, but he's got long arms, you know? So it's like, he's got you, you know? And you know people like that, you know? Um, I, I enjoy a good hug, but, but he, you know, he's got you. And, and, and when he comes in the door, everybody's getting a hug. Everybody's getting a hug. And I don't know if it's just on, I mean, obviously, I don't get down to Peoria as much as uh, I could because I'm way up here in the Northwoods, but every time I'm down there, He's given out hugs, and I noticed it's changing the culture of my family. You know, I, I think they're hugging more. And I think that's important. I think that's good that, 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 he, that he brings that to our family. So I don't know what your family's like, but I would encourage you to think about meaningful touch. You know, I mean, for some of us guys, it's the high five. You ever notice how much touch goes on? And, and, and I don't mean this in a crass way. I mean it actually in a, in a good way. But how much touch goes on, on on sports teams, you know? There's like these and this and that and, you know, all over the place. It's all touch. These guys, you want to have a team. You want to have a bond. You want to have camaraderie. You want to have th- th- this unity in the team. You're working together as one unit. And, and these guys are like high-fiving all over the place and smacking them on the back. And it probably hurts a little bit, but it doesn't matter because you're getting that from your teammate, right? I've been there, you know. Ah, man. But you don't say it. You just say, that was great, you know. It's, um, <laughs> it's good. I needed that. I'm ready to go now, ready to play. Um, because, because teams get it, and I hope that your family gets it. They need that affection. You need to hold your spouse's hand. I was once in a, uh, I did like a church planters training one time. It was like three or four days of being uh, observed by church planters, which sounds as bad as it was, really. It was like being in a fishbowl for three or four days. And, and they, would, they would hear me talk about church planting and different things and, and teach and all this, and they were evaluating everything. And, and at the end, I, I sat down with a, uh, we sat down with a psychologist you know, who'd been watching us. And, and he says, I rarely saw you release the hand of your wife. You know, he's like, that's my observation about your marriage over the three days you've been here. I, I think that's important. I think it's important to do that. And if you ever wonder, you know, because the opposite is true too. If, if appropriate, meaningful touch is powerful, then inappropriate touch is also devastating. And, and we get this. 
We understand this. We, we know the damages that has. So let's do the godly thing and, and, and give appropriate, meaningful touch to other people, to our kids. They need it. They just suck it up. They love that. So make sure you're doing that. Now, when they get to high school, maybe all bets are off. I don't know. I don't know how your kids are in high school, but, you know. Um, I can only tell you that I'll never forget graduation day in high school and my dad hugging me and saying, I'm so proud of you. I mean, that to me, that sticks out in my mind like it was just yesterday. And I think there's a reason for that. So, um. All right, so appropriate, meaningful touch. Number two, then, is words of affirmation. Words of affirmation. If you look at verse 22, uh, Jacob says, Joseph's a fruitful vine, a fruitful vine near a spring whose branches climb over a wall. You can think about this, you know, like Joseph was hearing this. I'm like a vine. I'm fruitful. Joseph's thinking, the things that I do bear fruit. Well, yeah, no kidding. You saved your whole family, you know? God gave you those dream, or God gave other people dreams about famine, and you were able to interpret them because of God, and then you saved not only the nation of Egypt, but you saved your own family from famine and starvation. I mean, that's fruitfulness. That's great. I mean, this reflects on Joseph's life. Jacob is saying what he saw in his son. We have to do that. We've we got to become really good at seeing the ways God has created people to be, seeing the image of God in, in them, seeing the fruitfulness in them, and, and then telling them, oh, that was so good. I loved what you did there. I love what you said there. When you said that, it reminded me of Christ, you know, or it reminded me of this biblical character. Or it, when you said that, it just spoke into my soul. We, we've got to do that. We've got to speak to people and tell them. Now, some of us, you know, it's funny. You never have to teach people how to cut other people down. It just happens, you know. I gave a good sports analogy. Now I'll give a negative sports analogy, you know. Uh, I'll also never forget rides home on the school bus with the sports team and the ways we'd cut each other down and laugh about it, you know. It was almost like, did you experience that, you know, where you, where you tried to outdo the other person in what you were saying? Like how crude could you get? How crass could it be? And you'd cut people down. And it was so much fun. Right. And so we become really good at an early age with knowing how to make fun of people. Our sitcoms are geared towards people doing stupid things and someone else saying, that was really stupid, you know? And we laugh about it, but, but then I think sometimes part of us, we carry that into our relationships and, and we get better at pulling people down and building them up. And we need to get very, very, very good at building other people up because the journey is long through this life. And there are many valleys that people walk through in this life. Even as kids, there's many low places. You remember that scene in, um, I should refer to the book maybe because it came from the book, but, but, but in, in The Hobbit, the first movie that they made of it, um, th- th- there's this talk and, and Bilbo's supposed to go on this huge adventure, but he's all, he's scared to do it, you know, and he's like, I'm a Baggins, you know, we, we don't do that. We don't go on these kind of trips, he says. I love this scene. Like, we don't do that. That's not what my family does. And then Gandalf's talking to him, you know, he's trying to get him to go on the journey. And he says, yes, but you're also a took, you know. And he's talking about his grandfather, you know, who, who fought in battles, you know. And he's trying to affirm him and call this out of him. Kind of like what Uncle Eric read earlier today. He's calling this out of him by affirming him. And then, and then Bilbo says, um, 
can you guarantee I'll make it home safely? And he says, no. And if you do, you'll be changed. Because the journey is long. He doesn't say this, but I'm saying this. The journey through life is long. And if you don't have people speaking into your life to encourage you and affirm you, it's difficult. It's difficult to stay motivated because a lot of us are very good at talking to ourselves and only seeing the negatives. When people call out the positives, it does something spectacular in us. So I encourage you to um, talk to people and not only reflect on what they're doing, but also to reflect on who you might see God making them to be. I I think there's two sides of this. I see good things in you, but also I know this is who God has made you to be. And maybe I don't see it all the way yet, hence the good ball player. You know, one homer maybe would say doesn't make a a great ball player because he might strike out the rest every single time, you know. But, But you're calling that out of somebody. You're affirming them, and we need more of that. Since I talked about jealousy this morning, um, I'll say this. My joke was on jealousy, but um, it's very true. If you find yourself jealous of somebody, one way to break that is to give them a word of affirmation. You know, if you can force yourself up to go up to that person and say, you're really good at this, and I'm so thankful for that, or that really blessed me, or that, that's just so cool that you can do that. You begin to break some of the junk in your own heart that's so negative. You know, like you do this thing where you say, oh, I, I, don't, I don't measure up to them. I can't do what they do. I'm so much less. But the funny thing is you begin to build yourself up when you compliment them because you start to break the jealousy, you know, by giving them a word of affirmation. So our kids need that. We need that. Um, let's do that. Thirdly, declaring a special future. Declaring a special future. Part of blessing is to say, uh, I see this in you. I could see you doing that. Uh, Verse 13 goes like this. Zebulun will live by the seashore and become a haven for ships. His border will extend towards Sidon. You know, I mean, there's a very much a predictive element there. And then you have like uh, uh, Dan's going to provide justice in verse 16. Dan's going to provide justice for his people. I mean, maybe Dan is the kind of kid that, that cares about um, injustice in society. Maybe he cares about uh, these kind of things where people are hurt and no one's doing anything about it. I, I, I don't know what, what, what about Dan, like the way Jacob did, but, but he's like, Dan, you're going to be giving justice to your people. That's who you are. So part of this is declaring a special future for our kids. Now, I don't think I'm prophetic, you know, but as I look at my kids, I can see things in them and I can say, I I could see this working out. If you don't see something in your kids, don't say it. You know what I mean? <laughs> if, if your child is, is, uh, hates, hates, hates school, you probably don't want to say, you're going to be a doctor, you know. I mean, if you don't see it, don't say it. You know what I mean? I mean, that's just kind of like, that, that just makes sense. It's not that you're trying to manipulate things and get your kid to be something that they're not. What you're actually doing is you're trying to say, I see God's hand on you in these ways. And I'm just going to call your attention to it. I notice that you're good at this. You're really good at music. I notice you really love worshiping. 
I wonder if God might have you one day be on a worship team or lead worship. I mean, these are the kind of things we declare to our kids. Or, I noticed that you have a passion for justice. I could see you working uh, as an attorney or in a court system. Or, I could see you, I could see you working as, as, a, as a social worker. Or, going overseas as a missionary and trying to help people both with food and give them the gospel of Christ. Where we're calling these things out of our kids because we see them. We're calling it out of our friends because we see it. And it might be that they just don't see it. Because a lot of times the most average person we know is ourself. You know? Like we're just normal. We're just us. But then when someone else looks at us and says, that is amazing, that is unique, God gave you that. And then you call it out. So think on that a little bit, that special future. I'm not sure that um, we are uh, necessarily... Um, doing prophecy the way Jacob is doing prophecy here. But it is meaningful. I'll give you an example of what I mean. One story that comes to my mind when I think about this special future thing. There was a kid that grew up in my youth group. Speaking of crazy, (laughs) crazy kid, grew up in my youth group. And uh, he went on and he went to uh, Trinity uh, to get his bachelor's and he went into youth ministry. So he gets a job. He's a youth pastor at this church uh, in the Chicago area. And uh, the senior pastor comes up to him one day and says, we're going to be uh, planting a uh, church over in England. Have you ever thought about going over there with our team and helping establish that church? No, I haven't thought about that at all. Well, you should. Pray about it. Okay. He prays. That's it. He just, just prays. And, uh, you know, a few months go by. This is like, he's, like a, he's got a new youth pastor job, okay? Like he's, he's new on the job, and, his, and the senior pastor just says this to him. So he's praying about it. Next time they talk, have you prayed about it? Yeah, I've been praying about it, you know. What do you think? I, I, I could see it. I could see it. All right, let's go. Let's do this. Now, I'm not saying we're supposed to be pushy and try to push people into stuff, but, but to suggest people pray over things, maybe God's doing this. See if he confirms it in your heart. Those are great ways to declare a special future for somebody. I could see this. I don't know if I'm right. Maybe. But you should pray about it. See what God does. He ended up going to England. He's there right now. He's serving the Lord in England right now doing that. He would have never thought that, I don't think, if that pastor didn't say, pray about it. Okay. Fourthly, and finally, personal commitment. Personal commitment, um, if you look at 49, uh, 16, Dan will provide justice for his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Um, if you say that your son loves justice, what will you do to help him get there? Well, I mean, Jacob's on the way out. I, I, know, I know he's going to die, but, but there's a sense that if, if you really want your kids to accomplish something, you're going to help them along in the process. You're, you're, you're going to help them. I think that's, that's Isaac with Jacob. He sends Jacob out, you know, and, and you need to go get a wife. Go out and get a wife. I'm kind of giving you direction there. We ought to be committed to our kids and to our friends succeeding. We also leave room, I think, though, for our kids to make their own choices. And I think that's the harsher part of chapter 49. Like, Simeon and Levi, you you guys are like ruthless. You killed all those people. So, So personal commitment says... I'm committed to seeing you succeed. I'm going to help in any way I can to help you do this. 
But also, I'm going to leave room for you to make a choice. Will you follow God or won't you? Will you live out what God has called you to? Or will you get selfish and make life all about you? Because I can tell you, God hasn't called any of us to make God life all about us. You know, None of us have that calling. But some of us pursue that. You've got to leave room for your kids to make the choices. Are they going to live in that blessing or not? I think there's the tension in the passage here. All right. In saying this, I don't know where we should go as far as um, I, I could see a ceremony like this. Couldn't you? You know, like a ceremony, you're getting out of high school, going on to college, and parents are blessing their kids. Could you, could you see that? Like writing down blessings for their kids and calling out what they've seen in them. I could see, I've done this, uh, I've done weddings for people and I've written a blessing for them and I speak it over them during the ceremony. Just for them. I'm not like rehashing something else I've done, but but something that I see in them and I bless them that way with it. I, I just think we need to think about formally and informally having these times of blessing. Maybe it's during a holiday time and you're sitting around a table and you choose to bless each other and speak these words to each other. I think there's room for it formally and informally. So I don't know where that's all going to go, but I know I need, to, I need to say that. I need to say that. I want to read, I want to close with my own story. And uh, you, you never know when you speak to somebody what it's going to do. This, uh, when I left Watoma, uh, people wrote blessings to me um, in a book, and they gave it to me. And this is a student. Uh, I believe she was eighth grade at the time she wrote this. And I just want to read it as power of blessing. I'll edit it a little bit because it's lengthy, but um, she says, Dear Niall, I'm going to write this in my favorite font because, yeah. Okay, so it's in a good font. She says, anyway, Niall, you have strengthened my belief in Christ. You made him a huge part of my life. Every time I cry because the world cuts me down and pushes me off a cliff, and I'm about to give up everything, and I think of what you said. You told me I'm not worthless. I'm important to God and to people at youth group. You made me feel loved, like someone someone cares when it feels like no one else does. Why I personally like you is because when everyone else stares at me and calls me names, you stare and see a beautiful child of God. I don't know how you do, but you do. You don't judge me because of all the mistakes I made. You take me for me because you see potential in everyone. I still remember that conversation that night at youth group when you told me about when I told you about how suicidal I was. What you didn't know was that I was on the verge of life and death seriously. And if it wasn't for you, I might not be here today. You gave me hope. You saved a life. Not only from killing myself or being suicidal, but you saved me from life without God. Um, I just, you have these conversations with people and you, you don't know. I mean, when she spoke to me, I, I saw there's emotion there, but 
I, I didn't know how close to the edge it was. I mean, she had kind of spoken in terms of, in the past, I have felt this way. But really, it was that very night. And uh, you just don't know what your words are going to say to somebody and how long they'll last. When you call someone a child of God, when you call someone valuable, when you say you mean so much, you have no idea how long those words will stick with that person. As Eric read, they have shelf life. Um, and they have the ability to shape life. So, finally, I want to talk about Christ. Um, I believe that, and if you didn't pick this up in, in my preaching ministry, I believe every passage can be pulled back to the gospel. I really believe that. I mean, there might be some exceptions, but, but check out Judah in this verse, okay? Check out, um, where do I want you to go? Check out verse 8. You know, the gospel is that Jesus Christ died on a cross for our sins and rose from the dead to give us new life. And here it is in verse 8. Judah, your brothers will praise you. Your hand will be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons will bow down to you. You are a lion's cub, O Judah. You return from the prey, my son. Like a lion, he crouches and lies down. Like a lioness, who dares rouse him? The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he comes to whom it belongs and the obedience of nations is his. He will tether his donkey to a vine, his colt to the choicest branch. He'll wash his garments in wine and his robes in the blood of grapes. His eyes will be darker than wine, his teeth whiter than milk. So he's describing somebody who's going to rule with a scepter, is as powerful and awe-inspiring as a lion, and eventually he's going to come and the nations are going to obey him, not just Israel, but the nations... He'll tether his donkey to a vine. I think the idea here is of abundance and peace. Um, his cult to the choicest branch. There's abundance in the land. Like you would want to live here. He'll wash his garments in wine. There's an abundance of wine and, and his robes with the blood of grapes. And then his eyes, piercing eyes, teeth whiter than milk, his appearance. Revelation. 5 5 says, One of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He's able to open the scroll and its seven seals. The lion of the tribe of Judah is Jesus Christ. And because of him, Galatians 3 is true. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. All of these blessings that have come to us because of Christ. He's predicted in Genesis chapter 49. He comes in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we are blessed because of him. And that was the order we sang things in this morning, if you didn't notice. I'm sure it was intentional by Eric. I'm positive it was. Um, he had us singing about, uh, he had us watch the video about how we are under condemnation. Then we sang about the cross. And then we sang about the blessing of God. That is how it is for those that know Christ. If you don't know him, would you speak to one of us, speak to me, and we can pray together and talk about how to know him. Otherwise, I have a little activity for the rest of you. You have some papers at the end of your pews. Would you grab those? We have a few minutes left. We're going to play some music. I want to invite you to write a word of affirmation to somebody. It can be somebody in this, in this room right now. It could be to one of your kids, to all of your kids. If you want to go high-tech, I'll allow it. 
turn on your uh, iPhone or your, or, your, or, your, or your Android phones and you could text somebody the thing. That's okay too. But it's kind of fun. The handwritten thing's kind of fun. You know, you hold on to those things. Um, I was spring cleaning the other day and uh, going through old files and I found some old encouragement cards from you all. And I thought, do I throw these away or not? You know, I can't bear to do it. You know, it's like, it's just, just the things that are said have a lot of weight. And uh, plus I'm a pack rat, so that's just me. Ask Christy about it, you know. But, but those things mean something, and I appreciate every word that I've received from this church. Thank you. Um, would you do that now and write a word of affirmation to someone in your family or someone in this room or someone that you know needs it? Would you ask God who that is? We're going to play some music, and then when it's over, I'll pray and we'll be dismissed. Please do that now.